Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that you are here with us, God. We need to hear from you. That's why we're here, Lord, to worship you with our hearts, with song, and with our minds as we open up our hearts and our ears and our eyes to what you would show to us, what we would hear from you, and what you would speak to our hearts, Lord. We, we love you, and we ask, God, that you would be so present here and that we would just so see your face through your word. We love you, God. Teach us. Um, teach us now and, and bless this time. In your name, amen. Amen. So, we are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a sermon on a mountain. That's what it is. Um, Jesus goes up on this mountain, and what he would do is, you know, he would stand, and everybody, or no, he would sit, and everybody else would stand. I'm glad we do it this way, because I'd feel weird if I was sitting and I couldn't move, and if you guys were all standing, staring at me, I'd be even more freaked out than I am. You guys kind of freak me out. Um, Junior high was my comfort zone. Then I moved up to high school, and high school kids kind of freak me out. Um, And but you guys freak me out a ton. So just so you know, um, I love you, but I'm scared of you. So, um, (laughs) what Jesus is doing is in Matthew chapter four, he calls Matthew, the, the gospel author. He says Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's telling people. He's telling his followers. My kingdom is coming, and and my kingdom, the way you live in the kingdom is completely different than the way you live on the earth. And through the Sermon on the Mount, he challenges our view on everything. Uh, He'll he'll throw out these sayings that people have heard before. He'll say, you know, you've heard it said, you know, it's a sin to murder. You can't kill somebody. But I say to you, if you even think a wicked, angry, bitter thought against someone, you've basically, you've, you've killed them in your heart. And he throws out these things that are just revolutionary. And so this is a great moment where Jesus is teaching his followers what it means to actually follow him. So let's pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So imagine they're on this mountain and they're getting ready to listen to the great teacher and they're wondering, what is the great secret? What does Jesus have that I need to hear? The secret to life, to to happiness, to success. What is it? And so Jesus begins with what we call the Beatitudes and he says in verse three of chapter five, Jesus starts out, blessed are the poor. And you can imagine that was pretty shocking to hear, like, right off the bat. People are like, how can I be successful? Like, how can I know how to have a happy life? And Jesus just starts right off like, oh, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. And everyone is just blown away by these things Jesus would teach. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So he throws out this word, blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, if we look in the Greek, let's see if I can get it to work. Yes. If we look in the Greek, the word was makairos. The word blessed Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount is from the Greek word makairos, which means to be happy or blissful, but it also means a self-contained happiness. And the Greeks called the island of Cyprus the happy island. And they believed that because of its location, its perfect climate, and its fertile soil, that anyone who lived on Cyprus had it made in the shade. And the term they associated with the island was makairos. They believed everything you needed to be happy was right there on the island of Cyprus. And we can't all move to Cyprus, but the idea is that our happiness is independent of our circumstances. It's self-contained, meaning that regardless of what is going on the outside, whether you have trials or tribulations or persecutions, you can have true happiness, not that that fickle, non-lasting happiness, but true, long-lasting joy, no matter what your outside circumstances. And we can genuinely be, be blessed as followers of Christ. In Matthew 5, verse 7 and 8, these are the verses we're focusing on. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we're going to start with merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? I have a question. Does anyone here hate the fair? Anybody? I hate the fair. Anybody hate the fair? It's terrible. 
It's the worst. I went to the fair with my wife because my wife is just, she's so optimistic about these things. Like, it's going to be great. It's going to change our lives. And I'm just like, oh, it's, everything's so expensive. And the lines are so long. And all they have is deep fried butter. And it's the worst. The fair is the worst. I hate it. It's, it smells. There's not a real bathroom. The crowds are terrible. And I'm, and, and I'm just, we're, we're at the fair. And it's, it's even worse than Disneyland. My, I, if I was single, I would never go to Disneyland because I'm just, I'm not, uh, I'm not the kind of guy who's like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, wait seven hours in lines and then ride on rides for 30 minutes, like in total. Like your day at Disneyland comprises of 30 minutes of fun and seven hours of lines. My wife loves it. So then I inherit that love because when your wife loves something, you love it too. And, and now I genuinely enjoy it because I go with her. But if I was by myself, I would hate it. The fair is even worse. And we were there and it was so crowded, and everything was too expensive, and too deep fried, and, and we were standing in line, and I just wanted an Oreo milkshake. That's all I wanted. I was like, if I can get an Oreo milkshake out of this, like, my day will be, actually be okay. And I'm in the line, and I'm just complaining, and griping, and whining, and my wife is trying to have a good time, and I'm just, I'm squashing her enthusiasm with my bad attitude. And we get up to the ice cream place, and the guy's like, oh, we don't have Oreo milkshakes. And I was just like, you can see it on my face. Like, you know when someone gets that visible disappointment and that flesh nature comes out? I was just like, what? And and the guy was like, hey, hey, you know what? Like, for you, I'll I'll give you, I'll make you one for free. And I was just like, whoa. (laughs) See, that was grace. Um, I got what I didn't deserve. But the mercy was that I didn't get what I did deserve, which was a kick. Somebody should have kicked me or taped my mouth shut, uh, but they didn't. So that was mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do. And uh, sometimes we have a hard time being merciful because we just have to give people their just desserts. We see somebody and we're like, I just have to give them what is coming to them. And for instance, there was a man, a simple man, and all he wanted to do was take a selfie. It's all he wanted. And and. He, you know, he was thinking, if I take this selfie and if I put it on my profile online, a selfie is when you take a picture of yourself and ask your kids. They know all about it. Um, so this guy was like, I'm going to put on my best outfit, which apparently was, was like a, a superhero tank top, I guess, and, and a beanie. And he's like, I'm going to take this picture and, and girls are going to like me. Well, his brothers and his dad didn't think he deserved love. They thought he deserved ridicule. So they're like, Let's, we're going to make fun of this guy. So they stole his outfit, and they all took pictures of themselves dressed as him to make fun of him because <clears throat> they thought he looked ridiculous. And then his mom and his sisters got in on it, and the whole family got in on it, and they posted it on the Internet, and uh, like 100,000 people saw it and made fun of him. So mission accomplished. He got what he deserved. He got made fun of. Um, some people need a lot of mercy, and a lot of times we're not willing to give it to them. Um, Let's look at what the word merciful means. In the Greek, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Um, When I was studying this with the high school kids, I was just stoked at all these. I'm not really like a Greek word guy. I just, I started looking at these and I'm like, oh my gosh, this really pulls out some great meanings. So merciful is eliemon, which means full of pity, merciful, and compassionate. Or merciful, acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. That's that's really good stuff. We're going to come back to that, but that's just... That's good. So the best example of this, someone who's merciful and compassionate and takes pity, is Jesus. You, you remember the story. There was a woman, a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She is sleeping with a man who's not her husband. And the religious police, the, the God squad, the Pharisees, they are waiting. They've set the whole thing up. You know, they've probably hired the guy to come in and sleep with the girl and, because they want to get Jesus in trouble. It's all this elaborate setup. So this woman, the, the man, no one messes with him. He, he runs off scot-free. But the girl, she gets dragged out into the public, and she's got a sheet wrapped around her, and she's trying to cover herself up, and she's thrown in front of the people. And everyone's like, what's going on? What is this? She was caught in adultery. She was with another man. We should stone her. The law says to stone her, and the Pharisees are picking up stones. And they know Jesus is there, and they're trying to get the people to see that Jesus isn't all he's cracked up to be. Because Jesus... Jesus was going around teaching about love and peace and God's kingdom and and grace and mercy. And the Pharisees were like, 
the people like him better than us. They used to look at us and we'd be out on the streets praying, Lord, thank you that I'm so perfect, not like that sinner. And people would applaud for them and think, oh, they're so holy. Jesus came and he like uncovered the whole scam. People would look at Jesus and they'd see he's the one that we need to follow, not these phonies. So the Pharisees are like, we've got to get Jesus. We've got to trap him. So they bring the woman and they say, Jesus, what do you think? Like, what's your opinion, great teacher Jesus? The law says we should stone her. Like, we've got the rocks. Like, what do you think? And they're asking because they, they know if they can get Jesus to say the wrong thing, the people would turn against him. And Jesus looks at this woman who's on the ground just, just weeping and crying and trying to cover herself and just shameful and expecting to die. And Jesus looks at her. And he looks at the Pharisees, and they're like, Jesus, we should stone her, we should stone her. And Jesus goes, okay, okay, but whoever doesn't have any sin, let him throw the first stone. And the Pharisees, just their jaws drop, and they're like, like, we can't claim to have no sin. That would claim to be God. Everyone has sin. He's stumped us. And then Jesus starts writing in the sand, and it's believed he was writing their crimes, the mistakes they had made, the, the things they had done, maybe even some affairs that no one knew about but the Pharisees, writing the names and the dates and the things on the ground. And one by one, the Pharisees looked at the things on the ground and said, oh, I'm out. Like, I'm not sticking around for this. And they left. And Jesus goes to the woman, and she looks at him. And he looks at her, and, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone, Lord, because everyone had left. And Jesus says, I do not accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. And what a great example of mercy. When, when the people called for blood and execution, which she deserved, just like all of us deserve death for our sins, Jesus said, I see the broken pieces, I'm going to put them back together. I see the broken person, I'm going to put her back together. And I'm not just going to say, like, oh, no punishment for you. Jesus says, now go and sin no more. Like a father would say to a child who's running into a fireplace, you know, he'd grab the child and maybe even give it a little smack to kind of let it know it's doing something wrong. But it says, hey, don't do that because it'll burn you. He's telling the woman, go and sin no more. Do not do this again. It will destroy you, but I love you. Let me show you my grace and my mercy. Our first point is that mercy is an undeserved embrace. Who's a husband here? Yeah? Do you guys ever do dumb stuff? Because <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, I've, I've been married for almost five years. In March it'll be. Um, my wife is amazing. I never thought I'd get married. I thought I'd be like a bachelor to the rapture and just, you know, die in a cave alone because uh, that's what my high school experience was, just like no luck. And God just provided the most amazing, godly, beautiful, wonderful woman in my wife, Brooklyn, to me. Um, and I love her so much, and I just, I want to be her hero, and I want to do things to bless her. But a lot of times I fail, and I make stupid mistakes. Like, uh, I remember one time, you know, she was gone, and sometimes when she's gone, I use that as an opportunity, like, oh, I'm going to, like, revolutionize the house and, like, clean everything. And then I end up making it more messy than it was in the first place. I remember she was gone, and I was like, I'm going to do the laundry, and it's going to be so good, and she's going to come home and she's gonna take it out of the dryer and it's gonna be like so warm and she's gonna like wrap it all in her like a laundry blanket and just be like so blessed well she got home and everything was shrunk <laughs> she was bummed some of her favorite shirts I remember another time um, I don't know if this ever happens to you guys but uh, I was sitting at home on the couch and I was just settling in you know that moment where like you just find the perfect position in the couch where you're like perfectly comfortable and you're like yes I've achieved maximum comfort and it's in that moment that my wife usually says, I'm hungry. Can you go pick something up for me? <laughs> so I left because I was trying to be a good husband. Even though my flesh was like, oh, perfect comfort. I was like, I want to be a good guy. So I went out and I went to Pepper Tree. And me and my wife love from Pepper Tree the Oreo cookie dough malt. It is the greatest thing in the world. It is so good. So I buy it and it's just, it's like tall and amazing. It's got cookie dough and Oreo in it. And I, I got one, I drank mine in the car on the way home, and I had hers, I had it in my hand, and I was walking up to her, and I was so excited to give it to her. I was like, yes, perfect, perfect, what's the word, treat. I was like trying to say snack and treat at the same time. Perfect thing. I was handing it to her, and my like shaky hand like crushed it, and it exploded all over everywhere. It was just like, ugh. And it was gone. It was all over the floor and the carpet, and it was, it was terrible. So I do, I do stupid things. Nothing is more comforting when you mess up than the undeserved embrace. That's where my wife, when I mess up, instead of, you know, going, psh, psh, 
will say, hey, come here, it's okay, and give me a hug, pat me on the back, kiss on the cheek. I mean, you guys who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. When your kids do something where really they deserve a spanking, really they deserve a grounding, but you're looking at them and you're like, I just love them so much, I want to give them the undeserved embrace. I want to pull them close, I want to hold them tight, I want to give them a hug. And they don't deserve it, and you know it, but you give it to them because you love them. Jesus is all about the undeserved embrace. How many times do we mess up? How many times do we make mistakes? And Jesus looks at us and he says, I love you, come here. Like, let me comfort you. Let me steer you away from temptation and sin. Let me draw you close to my heart. Jesus is the master of the undeserved embrace. And we can become so concerned that others will get what's coming to them. Any Lord of the Rings fans out here? Yeah? So Frodo... He's getting tired of Gollum, that creepy guy who's like, my precious. Uh, he's, he's sick and tired of him. Gollum's always trying to steal the ring and foil everybody's plans. So he says to Gandalf, like, let's just kill Gollum. It'll make things easier. And Gandalf says, many that deserved it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do the voice. <laughs> um, he says, many that, deserve, many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. It's a reminder to me that all have sinned, and the wages of sin is what? It's death. Every single one of us, we look at people who've sinned a lot, and we can judge them and think, man, they deserve what they get. They deserve the punishment. But really, the whitest of white, tiny little white lies is enough to separate us from God for eternity. We're all guilty, but we've all been granted a pardon. Those of you who follow Jesus, those of you who put your trust in Jesus, you have all been granted a pardon, not from your worth, not from my worth. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It it was all God's grace and his mercy. We shouldn't judge. We should show mercy to others. There's this great quote by Max Lucado that says, mercy pardons us, grace woos and weds us. Grace does this. God does this. Grace is God walking into your world with a sparkle in his eye and an offer that's hard to resist. I love that. What a great God we serve. A God who's basically a hopeless romantic. A God who loves to rescue his bride. And I know that weird some of you guys, uh, I, I trip out about it sometimes too, you know, because we want to be guys. Um, but God loves us. We're his, we're his children, we're his bride, and he is constantly, like Liam Neeson in Taken, just going after us and taking out all the opposition that's standing in the way between us and him and just rescuing us. And that is amazing. And the story of the woman caught in adultery, that's what Jesus is all about. He looks at this woman, and she's in the broken pieces of her life, and he says, let me put you back together. And in our lives, he does this. In your lives, he does this. He appears in the middle of the broken pieces of wreckage and sin and trial and tribulation, and he gives you the undeserved embrace. No matter how good you are, no matter how charitable you are, no matter how generous of a person you are, none of us still deserve grace. We've done nothing to deserve it, but God is all about giving us that undeserved embrace. Do you share his heart to bring mercy and grace into the world of others? When, when I taught this to the high school ministry, I told them the story of the buddy bench. So there was a school, and there was a kid who was so desperately lonely and didn't have any friends that he invented something called the buddy bench, where he basically broadcasted his loneliness. And he would sit on this bench to say to people, like, hey, I'm lonely. Come hang out with me. And That's sad that someone would be so desperate to the point where they have to do that. But it's a reminder to me that this is everywhere. I mean, it doesn't necessarily look like this, but everywhere people are crying out for something. There's people on your streets. There's people at your work. There's people in your neighborhood. And there's people in your family who are crying out for love and respect and belonging and forgiveness. And the question that I have for you today is, will you give it to them? And will you give it to them freely? Because be careful. What can happen is we can have an attitude, which is, um, you know, I, I teach this to high school students, and the danger in my mind is, you know, there's always the kids who are unpopular and the kids who are popular. And the kids who are popular can hear this kind of study, and they can think like, oh, I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those kids aren't cool like me. 
I'm cool, so uh, I am worthy of awesomeness, but they are not. So I will go down to their unworthy level, and I will reach out to them, and I will do my good deed. And it's like, no, no, like none of us, like none of us should look at any person at any point. We should never drive by the homeless guy and think I'm better than him, that poor soul, because we all were wretched sinners doomed for hell without Jesus. Every single one of us positionally, whether we're born in a mansion or born on the streets, spiritually, we were beggars without Jesus in our life. We're all unworthy, but Jesus shows us mercy. So we must show mercy to others. The next point for us this morning is mercy is essential. Some things are plain essential. I don't know anything about cooking. My wife actually tells me, like, don't go in the kitchen because you'll ruin everything. Um, <laughs> she, like, has everything arranged perfectly. I, I try to bake things sometimes, and it just is, is terrible. I think the last time I mixed up the salt and the sugar when I made it cookies, it was really bad. Um, <clears throat> Some things are plain essential. I called Brooklyn. I was like, hey, Brooklyn, what is essential to cookies? Because I don't know. And she said, flour. If you don't have flour, you'll just have like a sugary butter sauce, and it will be nasty. Um, And then I try to think of one like, what is essential to a high five? Hands. Because if you don't have hands, you're just like trying to, yeah, it's weird. It's awkward. Mercy is essential to God. Mercy is essential to our lives as Christians. You can't take it out. You can't remove it, or it's weird and awkward and strange. There must, be wor- there must be mercy in our life, and it's important to God. He wants it to be important to us, and a true follower of Jesus should have mercy in his DNA. It should be an absolute part of who we are. James 5, verse 9, says this. Don't grumble and complain about others, or you will be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And it makes me think of this scenario where you've got this courtroom full of murderers and thieves and convicts. And the judge looks at them and says, you're all guilty. You all deserve death. You all deserve execution. But I love you. And the convicts are like, what? We've never even heard of this judge. Like, he loves us? What on earth? And the judge says, I love you. I don't want you to die. I want you to have a fresh start. I want you to have a new life. So here's what I'm going to do. My son, he's going to come in. He's going to sit in the electric chair for all of you. And then you're going to get a clean slate, a new start. And everyone just watches in amazement as the son comes in and sits down in the chair and is executed in a horrible death. And the convicts see this. They see the death that the son takes. And the judge unleashes their shackles and says, you're free to go. And as they exit the courtroom, just in amazement, the the convicts, they go into the next room. And they start talking to one another. Can can you believe that? No, that was amazing. Like, why would the judge do that for us? That's, That's incredible. But then they start talking. And they start looking around. They say, you know, I understand that I went free. You know, because all I did, like, I didn't kill anybody. You know, I, I, I stole and I robbed and I never got caught neither, but I didn't murder. And they point to the guy over there and said, he murdered. That guy is a murderer. Like, why did they let him go? I can't believe we're even in the same room with that sick freak. And more people start talking like, you know what he did? Do you know what he did? I can't believe what they did. Like, I know I'm okay. Like, I understand why I went free. Like, I'm good now. But he, him, he's just going to go out and do the same thing. And the judge is standing over by the door and he's just listening and they look over and the judge just has tears streaming down his face and he says, my son just died in the chair for you. Like, why are you talking about one another? Like, go live your lives for me. Like, go be free. And as Christians, we've been forgiven and free, but it's so easy to grumble and complain against others. And I do it. One of the biggest things I'm guilty of is celebrities. Like, There'll be people who I count on, you know, because they start out as Christians, you know. They'll, they'll start out as maybe a Christian musician or somebody who, you know, is a celebrity, but they, they say, you know, oh, yeah, praise Jesus. And then they'll do something bad, and they'll slip up, and they'll make a mistake, and I'll read it in the paper. Or I don't read the paper. I'll, I'll read it on the computer. And, and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll look at them, and I'll be like, oh, man, they really let me down. Like, that's that sinner. Like, oh, I can't believe I trusted in them. Like, ugh. Like, ugh, it's so messed up that they did that. And it's like, am I not just as guilty of them as of sin? Have I not sinned? Was I not destined for hell without Jesus? Why am I grumbling against them? Like, sinners are going to sin. We should never be surprised when a sinner sins. If, if a fish swam and we were like, oh, I can't believe that. They'd be like, no, it's a fish. Sinners are going to sin. 
We shouldn't be shocked or surprised by their sin. And I think if, if I, if we spent half as much time praying for sinners as we did judging them and looking on and just being in shock at what they did, what a different world we would live in. There's an amazing part of the meaning of merciful, which is, at the second part, acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. This is just beautiful gospel language. The way that you act is based on what is revealed to you, okay? It's like if, if, you, if it was revealed to you, if someone like had a cloth and they pulled it off and they were like, free Chipotle for life has been revealed to you, it would affect the way you live. You wouldn't be like, sweet, I'm going to go buy Chipotle. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. You would go get it for free because it had been revealed to you, so it affects the way you live. If it was revealed to you, a meteor is coming in 10 days to destroy the earth beyond a shadow of a doubt, you wouldn't be like, sweet. You'd, just, you'd, you'd probably quit your job. You'd probably spend time with your loved ones. Like, it would affect you. You would not go on as you did before. And in the same way, the revelation of God's covenant should affect how we live. And what is God's covenant with us? I'm not talking about the original covenant where he makes with Noah with the rainbow that he'll never destroy earth with a flood. I'm talking about the covenant he made on the cross with you and with me. The covenant where he says, because I paid the price, you get freedom. You get mercy. You get grace. You get forgiveness. You don't have to perish for your sins. You are given grace and mercy. Because we have been given that, should it not affect the way we treat others? We should live within the revelation of that covenant. Religion without mercy is dead. Jesus tells a story about two men and I'll just use layman's terms, but basically there was a king, and he had a servant, and the servant had borrowed thousands and thousands of dollars from the king, and the king comes to the servant after the amount of time and says, sir, where is my money? And the servant drops on his knees, and he's like, sir, king, I can't pay it. Please help me. And the king says, I should lock you up. I should throw you in jail. I should put your children and wife into slave labor until the debt is paid off, which probably will never happen in your lifetime, so your grandkids will have to be working this off. And the man says, please, 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 mercy, mercy, don't give me what I deserve. And the king's heart is filled with compassion. He says, you know what? You're free. Go. I do not hold this against you. And the man is free. There's no debt. There's no payments. The king paid it all out of his own pocket. Well, then the man goes out of the palace and into a dark alleyway and sees a man that owes him 100 bucks. And he says, hey, you, where's my money, punk? And the guy's like, Oh, I'll have it in like three weeks, I promise. And the man says, you horrible man, how dare you? Guards, guards. And he calls the police officers to arrest him and throw him in jail and bring him to trial to sue him for even more. And the king hears about this and he brings the servant. He says, you wicked, wicked servant. I gave you grace. I gave you mercy. And you wouldn't give that to others? I'm busting that guy out of jail and I'm putting you right back in. In Matthew 25, Verse 41 through 46, Jesus says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. And these are strong words, and these are scary words. I read this, and I'm like, oh, that's scary. But I think it's clear what Jesus is saying. He's referring to those who are just fans and not followers. Those who say, oh, Jesus is cool. I like what he says. But they're not actually followers of what Jesus says. They don't look at Jesus as master and say, I will do what you say. Followers act like they're master. And I know many of you guys very well. I would never like, put you guys in this category, but maybe there's a few people here who need to hear this. What does being a Christian mean to you? Does it mean you go to church? Or does it mean you follow Jesus as your master and you do what he says? Because we literally cannot claim to follow Jesus and refuse to develop mercy in our hearts. And does this mean if you pass a homeless person on the road and you don't pull over to help them that you're gonna burn? No. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think it's about the heart. 
As followers of Jesus, we need to be committed to have mercy in our hearts. It doesn't mean that if we miss any opportunity to help anybody at any point, because that'll happen, we're human. But if we have mercy in our hearts, if we ask Jesus to give us his heart for mercy, then we will be in a position where we can help as many as we can, even if it gets in the way of our own comfort. And you will struggle against your selfish flesh just as I do. But if you try to follow Jesus, mercy must be a part. It's the difference between passing the homeless guy and saying, he deserves what he got. If he was disciplined, he'd get a job like the rest of us. It's probably his sinful, wicked lifestyle that keeps him on the streets. Or passing the man and saying, my heart breaks for that guy. He was just like me, a sinner destined for hell, and I have grace. I want him to have that. I'm gonna pray for him. I'm gonna help him if I can. I remember um, we went to Rubio's, me and three junior high boys. I had kind of abandoned the junior hires because I became the high school pastor. At least that's kind of how I feel like they felt because I hadn't seen them in months. And I was just like, I've got to hang out with my junior high buddies. I love these guys. So I took uh, Evan and Brantz and Tyler out to Rubio's. And we're sitting there and we're eating fish, tacos, and burritos. And somebody orders an extra salad, this shrimp salad. So we're sitting there and we're like, oh, like taking little bites of the shrimp. We're like, what do we do with this extra salad? Like, who ordered this? I still want to know who ordered it because I paid for it. But um, I was like, why is this here? And we see a homeless guy on the corner. So we think, easy, give him the salad. That's easy. That's easy, good deed. You know, like doesn't really, doesn't really require much from us. We're not giving up our own food. It's just this extra food. Obviously, we'll give it to the guy. So we walk over, we give it to the guy. And he's like, thanks, mister. And we're like, Awesome. Well, then we go sit down, and the homeless guy doesn't even touch the salad. He, like, stands up and, like, starts walking towards us, and he's just, he's big and big beard and just smelt so bad, like, really, really bad. And we're trying to eat our fish tacos, and the smell is just wafting towards us. And, and imagine this is Brant's. Brant's is this very amazing junior high boy, um, and he's just sitting here, and, and, and the man is like right here, just like, and, and his arms are up, and the smell is just wafting directly into Brant's. And uh, those of us at the table, like, we are smelling it, but Brant's is like getting like the full, yeah, so, and we're, we, and we're challenged with this position where it's like, what do we do? Do we say, excuse me, sir, we're going to go sit inside, for reasons. Or do we let him talk to us? Do we talk to him? Do we give him attention? Do we give him love? Do we give him compassion? Because he just wanted to talk about his life. He just wanted to talk about what he did for a living before he became homeless. He just wanted to talk about the sports he liked. He just wanted to talk about the music he listened to back in the 60s. And you know what? The Lord touched our hearts and we're like, we're gonna, we're gonna listen to this guy. And we talked with him. And we listened to him. And then Brantz got up and threw up all over the place because of the smell. But you know what? Brantz took one for the team because that's what Jesus would have done. I can't imagine Jesus sending someone away for their smell. And I was just, I was so touched and proud of the hearts of the junior high boys to stick it out and love somebody. If it is through Christ that we are given the strength to show mercy to others. If you feel a lack of mercy, ask for the one who has an infinite amount. He's just got storehouses of mercy and grace. If you feel lacking, if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, I struggle with this, just ask him for it and he'll give it to you. Just ask him. Now, we gotta go to the second part of the passage. Let's read it together. So, we read, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now we read, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The pure in heart will be happy, they'll be blessed because they will see God. What does Jesus mean by purity of heart? I don't believe he's talking merely about sexual purity. It's a part of it, but let's look at the Greek again. Katharos, pure, clean, spotless, free from contamination or spiritual darkness. See, it's those whose hearts are free from the contamination of sin who will truly see God. And if we are to clearly see God, we must realize the sad truth that impurity is a fog. And maybe you felt this way. 
Maybe in your life, the impurity of anger or lust or bitterness. Maybe a mind that has been dirtied by the jokes of the world. Maybe a heart that is full of lying and deceit or a desire to gossip. These things create a fog that keep you from clearly seeing God. And when this happens, it's so sad because we miss out on him and all of his glory. And I just want you guys to understand, as your high school pastor, I want you to understand that your high schoolers and junior hires and children, even, yes, elementary school children, are facing a huge source of this fog every day through the media that comes at them from every different direction. And it's crazy. The internet is so just everywhere. And, and what, I've talked to many parents, and what is sad is, you know, we'll buy our, our kids these phones that are just, it's instant access to the internet and everything it has to offer, but the parents don't really understand the technology. And, and I, that's just how it is. Like, the junior high kids know the technology better than I do, and I'm pretty keen on technology. And what happens is, I mean, it's just instant exposure to every wicked thing that we have to offer. It's basically like letting somebody who's struggling with alcoholism live in a bar where all the drinks are free. That's really what we're dealing with. And in the, with the internet, there's this, and I can't pronounce it. It's like when it's anonymous, anonymity. I'm really bad at pronouncing that word. But it's where you can basically hide behind not having to reveal who you are. You can just get up and do and say whatever you are. And if any of you guys know what I'm talking about, look at like any YouTube video and you will just see the comments will just be on display the wickedness of the heart of man because people will hide behind the screens. There's a tragic story of Robin Williams, and this is a man who I looked up to my whole life, and I hope he found Jesus before he died. I know it was a suicide, but I just, I pray through some means he found Jesus. His daughter, Zelda, there she is as a baby, and there she is as a 20-something with her dad, and she loved her dad very much, and after her dad passed away, this beautiful man with the kind eyes and made us all laugh. After he passed away, she started just posting on the internet just memories of her dad and things that blessed her. And random people, a large group of them, which sometimes happens, they took photos of corpses and put Robin's head on the corpses and sent that to her. And it just shows you the wickedness of the heart of man, that they would think that was funny, that they would think that that would, it's just something to laugh at. And I see this all over the internet, this complete desire to just be as offensive and just, it, it's honestly, it's, it's just giving in to the enemy, and it's all over the place, and our kids are bombarded by it all the time. Impure hearts are the source of this evil, the impurity of the fog. When hearts get lost in the fog, that's what happens. Another source of it is through what we listen to, and, you know, I don't want to be that guy who, you know, I, I, I knew a guy, you know, who's like, don't, you know, don't listen to any music that's not Christian or you'll die. And, you know, I listen to a lot of Christian music. I listen to some music that's not, but you have to be careful. Yeah, you, like, I don't want to, like, make a hard rule, but, like, so many times things just slip in and we just, we don't care and we don't, we don't check it. We don't screen it. We don't, we don't listen. I looked at a statistic that said the top 40 songs on the radio, this is probably about 20 years ago, they said that 50% of the top songs on the radio were all based on sexuality and drugs. And I thought, that's a crazy statistic. Well, they found out, um, they did the statistic recently, and right now it's at 90%. And I said, that can't be true, because I'm a youth pastor, so I wanted to know. So I went on the top 40, I looked at the top 10 songs right now, and I read the lyrics, and nine out of 10 of those songs were all about sex, drugs, one-night stands, adultery, songs that demeaned women, songs that were women offering themselves as an object to be used by men. It was 9 out of 10. That was 90%. The only person who got away free on that one was Taylor Swift. But like her, hers was the only song that didn't have any of that stuff in it. But everybody else. And the crazy thing is the majority of students I talk to know these songs by heart. Like I throw out the name and they just immediately start singing it. And It's crazy. We need to be careful of that fog that quenches the Holy Spirit. I remember driving one night lost in the fog, and no matter how many 
brights or lights I turned on, I couldn't get out of it. The longer we're in the fog, the more lost we become. We lose our sense of direction. And I have something now that has saved my life that I didn't have back when I was a teenager, and that's a GPS. It saved my life. I would probably be, honestly, like, no joke, I'd probably be dead right now if it wasn't for that GPS. I'd probably be stranded in a desert somewhere because, listen, ask my wife. She moved here, and within two weeks, she knew the area better than me, and I've lived here since second grade. She's like, do you know how to get to College Boulevard? I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I never paid attention when my parents drove. Like, I was always, like, reading comic books. So, like, I didn't know street names. I'm, I'm a terrible, I, I, without my GPS, I would be lost. And listen, the Holy Spirit is the best GPS we could ever have. He is that, that positioning system for our heart that leads us out of temptation and impurity and out of the fog. What happens when you're driving and the GPS says, turn left? And you're like, no, I'm just going to go straight. You don't get where you're supposed to go. You get off course. And in the same way, it goes for our spirit. When we're driving through life and the spirit says, hey, turn away from that TV show. Like, don't watch that. Like, don't go to that movie. Don't listen to that. It'll, and, and, and so often what we do is we go, oh, no, I can handle it. Like, it's fine. A little bit of that, a little bit of this. Like, I'm okay. I can watch that. I can listen to that. I can look at that. It's all fine for me. And what we're doing is we're just, we're veering off course. We need to listen to the tiny check, that still small voice in our heart that speaks to us. Listen, your, your kids are under attack. I see it all the time. Don't allow the enemy into your home base. Don't give place to the devil. Be like Jael in the Old Testament. You guys remember the story of Jael, this Israelite woman? And the evil general comes who's opposing the Israelite army, and he's looking for a place, and he just finds this random woman and says, hey, you, random woman, let me into your tent. And he barges in. He's like, oh, I'm the general. Feed me. Like, give me rest. Like, give me something to drink. And, and he's the evil general. Like, he's, the, her, he's her enemy. But instead of letting the enemy place into her home, she says, yeah, why don't you lie down? What do you want? Something to drink? All right. I'll get some really warm milk. Here you go. She gives it to the guy. He falls asleep. And then she gets a tent peg and just goes, bah! Like right into his skull. It's pretty harsh. But she didn't give place to the devil. She identified the enemy and said, I'm going to take him out. To do this, it requires action. If my wife says to me, hey, bring in the groceries, help me bring in the groceries, and I'm like, okay, I'll help you, and I'm sitting there playing my video games, and I'm just like thinking helpful thoughts, like, hmm, I hope, I just hope with all my heart that she gets help with those groceries, like, I just positively really want to send her some positive karma and energy just thinking these thoughts. It doesn't do anything, just thinking thoughts about stuff that we have to take action, and we can't just think like helpful, pure thoughts about our life. We need to actually take action. We must ask God to create in us a clean heart. We must ask him to search our heart and remove anything that's impure. And we must ask him to clear the fog. And then we must listen to his spirit and rid ourselves of anything causing us or our families to stumble. We must clear the fog away because, guys, last point for today, God wants you to experience him. Very simply, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our last Greek word was horeo, which means to see. It means to perceive, to recognize, or to experience. And this was very interesting wording. I was looking at this, and it was, it, it's basically saying, because I read that verse, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see, they will see God. And what I thought was, okay, that means that I will live long enough where I will die and then go to heaven and I'll see God in all of his glory, which is true. We will see God, and that day is going to be amazing. I'm so excited to, like, have my face turn white and my hair blow up like Moses when I see God in all of his glory. That's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic. But the promise even goes deeper. It's amazing that we will not just live to see God in his physical glory, but that we will recognize him and experience him while we're here on earth. We will have a relationship with him. We will experience him. That is fantastic. You know what I experience a lot? Netflix, right? TV. You get home from a long day at work, what do you want to do? Put on the shows, put on the game, unwind, tune out. And a lot of times, so many hours of the day are sucked into that when God is saying, experience me, I'm here. I mean, look at his creation. Uh, this, this is off the coast of Ireland where I hope to go as a missionary one day. And this is just 
it is beautiful, and God has created it for us. Look out your window. Look outside. The God who created that wants to hang out with you. Imagine that your favorite celebrity wanted to hang out with you. Last night, um, there was like no kids in the audience. It was all adults. So I was like, yeah, like imagine your favorite celebrity. Like, I don't, I don't know what your favorite celebrity is. Like, George Clooney? You want to hang out with him? Like, Meryl Streep? I don't know. Like, who do you, I don't know who you guys like. <laughs> and then I felt very offensive. Um, but just imagine your favorite athlete, your favorite, you know, home and garden chef lady, uh, you know, the barefoot contessa wants to hang out with you. I don't know. Somebody does. Someone you just look up to and you're like, that, that person is amazing. If they called you and they were like, hey, I want to hang out with you. If, team, if Tim Tebow was like, hey, let's get lunch, you wouldn't be like, oh, let me just uh, check my calendar. You'd be like, I'm quitting my job. We're going to hang out. This is going to be amazing. God is so amazing, and he wants to spend time with us all the time. The God who created the universe. And so often we put him off because, oh, I'm too busy. I can't do it right now. I can't spend time with you. I, I use this illustration with the youth where, um, you know, I, I, I say, you know, imagine, you know, that guy or that girl that you've just been crushing on since, like, the first grade when you saw them walk in with their little lunchbox, and you're just like, oh, they're so cute. Man. And now you're in junior high or high school, and you're just like, my love, my unrequited love, because... I will love them forever, but they will never know because I'm too embarrassed to tell them. They must never know. I could not bear it if they knew. Like, imagine that person that you love. You, you come out of your bedroom and you're at the top of the stairs and that person, that guy or that girl that you just love is in the living room and they say, I love you. And you're just like, oh, it's them and they love me. I didn't even tell them, like, this is amazing. My whole life is coming together. But then you're like, what about our parents? What, what's going to happen when they find out? Like, they're going to forbid it. We got to run away. Well, then your parents show up and their parents show up. And it's like, oh, they're both here? Like, what's going on? And they come in. You think, like, it's going to be the serious beatdown. But they say, you know what? Um, us and the Johnsons have been talking. And uh, we really think, uh, you know, this is going to work. So uh, arranged marriage. Here's the car keys. You can start dating now. Do whatever you want. Just go have fun, kids. Here's 100 bucks each. Like, just go live it up. You'd be like, Oh, right, junior hires, you'd be like, this is fantastic. Right, high schoolers, you'd be like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Now imagine high school boys, junior high boys, that girl has, your, your parents and her parents have basically said, this can happen. The girl you've always loved. And your response is, all right, so I'll see you on Sundays and like Wednesdays for an hour, bye. Right? And God, who's the lover of our soul, the one who created us specifically to love on us and to have relationship and friendship, which is the only source of true fulfillment we will ever experience here on earth. And so often it's, all right, see ya, bye. See you on Sunday. The creator and lover of our soul wants us to experience him. And so often, I can care less. Maybe you can care less too when the flesh creates that fog that keeps you from fully seeing God. What makes a movie scene? Music. If you have a scary music, or if you have a scary movie, but there's no scary music, like if you took some horrible, like, you know, someone's coming with a knife, but then you replace that, like, da-da, with, like, yakety sax, you know what that is? It's like that, like, happy, like, saxophone song that plays in all the comedies. If, like, that was playing, you'd be like, I don't know what to feel right now. <laughs> I have feelings, but I don't, like, is this funny? Am I supposed to laugh at it? Like, what? Like, music makes it. If you take music out, a movie can become very awkward. I'm going to show you guys something really awkward, so brace yourself for some awkwardness. John Williams is an amazing composer who wrote the music to things like Star Wars and, and uh, Indiana Jones. Like, he scored for many of us our childhood. You know, our hero, Harrison Ford, fought and swashbuckled to the tunes of John Williams. And his music makes things triumphant and amazing and beautiful. We're going to take the, the scene from Star Wars where they give the medals to Luke and Han and Chewie. We're going to take the music out of that scene and see how it plays out without the music. So enjoy this for a moment. It's very awkward.
Okay, so <laughs> that was amazing and awkward and weird. Um, <laughs> that scene should have been triumphant and exciting and moving. That's the scene where like everything is led up to it. It's this amazing battle and you're sitting there and the music's playing and you just feel the sense of like, yes! But when the music is gone, it's dull and awkward and lame. And honestly, that's what our life looks like without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that's what our life looks like. That's what our church services look like. That's what our our families look like when we're just going through the motions of Christianity. It's like awkwardly standing there and just smiling and awkwardly laughing. And we're just doing what we're supposed to do, but there's no life to it. We need the Holy Spirit in our hearts to experience God. And I want to encourage you, you can pray for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit any day. You don't need a pastor to do it for you. We love to do it for people, and it helps. But you can ask God, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Fill my family with your spirit. God wants you to experience him. In John 3 36, it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. And that doesn't mean if you don't obey God, like he's going to come to your door and like kill you. That's not what it's saying. Like, oh, you didn't obey me? You won't see life. It's the same word that's used. In the Greek, it, that see, it's horeo, which means whoever does not obey the Son will not experience life. If we do not follow Jesus, our life will just be a fake shadow of the glory it could have been. If we do not submit ourselves to God in his direction, we will not experience life as we are called to experience it. I know life gets busy, but I want to challenge you. There's so many opportunities to see God. Don't be tricked into thinking it has to be a formula and you can only see God a certain way. Look out your window at the sunset and thank God for it and just bask in his beauty and his glory. Go to the beach and look at the ocean and marvel at how big God is and how much he cares for small little us. Open up God's word and read the love letter that was written to you to help you see and experience God. So many times I walk around with my phone. You know, I'm kind of a slave to this thing now. I'm kind of glued to technology. Um, And I'll hear the little text noise, that little ding, and I'll hear it. And I'll think, was that for me? What's that text for me? And I'll pull out my phone because I'm just so desperate. Like, did someone text me? Like, is someone interacting with me? Did I get a like or a tweet or a text? Like, Wah. you know? And I'll just pull it out and be like, was that for me? Sometimes I'll, I remember I was sitting at Panera Bread and I heard the text noise that was clearly like way on the other side of the room. And I still thought, well, maybe it was for me. And I still pulled out my phone to check. What if we treated God like that? What if we were constantly like, was that for me? Like that thing that guy said, like, was God trying to speak through him to me? Like, oh, that that glorious like display of nature when those birds flew by like was God trying to signal to me that he loves me like whoa 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 like what if we were constantly on the lookout for God trying to speak to us what if we were looking through the word not because we had to so many times it's like you know hey did you do your devotions kid yeah I read it mom what if we were like on a treasure hunt opening up the word and going like there's buried treasure in here I am gonna search through it until I find it what if we treated God like that I have to end with mercy. I have to go back to mercy. It is because of his mercy that we are even able to experience him. And his mercy is so great. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is baby Adam Palraj. He is a sufferer of a horrible condition. He was born in India, and for nine months, he was safe in his mother's womb. But right after birth, he was abandoned. He was born with severe deformities, and no one in his family wanted him. No one in his family opened their heart or home. He was a child whose life many people in the United States of abundance would deem unworthy of living. They would say he should have been aborted. Doctors told Adam's family that they could not just abandon their child, but the the family in India, their response was frank. They said he was cursed by the gods and he carries bad luck. His family said that if if they had to take him home, they would kill them themselves. The villagers said if they brought him home, they would poison him. 
So Adam stayed in the hospital and waited for his true family, but he didn't have to wait long because within the same hospital as Adam was just young, a a young couple who had been married for six months, Raja Palraj, a psychiatrist at the hospital, and Jessica Palraj, a nurse and nursing teacher, they heard about the abandoned baby and they went to him. And the Palrajs loved Adam upon first sight. And the doctors told him he wouldn't live for long, maybe only a few weeks. But the young couple adopted him anyway. And as Jessica wrote in her blog, she wrote these words. As we were reading through Paul's letter to Rome in chapter 8, we were confronted with our own adoption as his sons and daughters. And when Adam was abandoned at our hospital due to significant physical deformities, we were awakened to the reality of our own spiritual condition before our adoption and Jesus' extravagant sacrificial love that adopted and redeemed us. Adam was diagnosed with a horrible condition, a rare condition that brings with it physical abnormalities. He was born without eyelids or a nose with a severe cleft palate and lip. He had major hand deformities and his legs were fused together. Only his brain, lungs, and heart were healthy. Most people with this condition die in the womb or shortly after birth. There's only 24 known cases. And Raja and Jessica were told to simply keep Adam comfortable until he passed. But the couple reached out to their friends and an email was sent to a friend at a UNC hospital in Chapel Hill and they brought about the miracle that they were seeking. With God's help, within two months, of his birth, Adam was in North Carolina having his first round of surgeries, which included one to give him eyelids to prevent him from losing his sight, and one to fix his cleft lip. Surgeries, however, are very expensive, yet within days, the Baby Adam Fund was established, and over $140,000 was quickly raised to help Raja and Jessica provide Adam with the health care he needs. In fact, despite the poor prognosis Adam was given, he will turn two years old in a few weeks. He has also become a big brother. Just this week, Adam had surgery to give him a palate. This brings about the hope of being able to eat and speak. In the future, Adam will have the use of prosthetic legs and hands. But even without those gifts, Adam, a child, his own family in India saw as a curse, has love and joy. He is full of energy. He plays with his brothers, and he is like any other little boy. In an interview with their local ABC News, Raja, the father, said, I just see an Adam as someone so beautiful. Often we kind of look at the abnormal things, but we kind of miss the beautiful things that lie behind this abnormal, so-called abnormal thing. Jessica and Raja are ordinary people who followed God's calling for them, and they saw a child in need of love, of a home, of a family, and they provided for him. They walked in a spirit that holds all life as precious, worthy, and beautiful. Everyone is wanted by God. And here's the reality. As I looked at this child, you know, my first reaction is this poor child, like everything he's been through, I'm so blessed that he found someone who loves him. But then I realized I am that baby. Like, I was born deformed by sin, with a sin nature. I was destined for a life of just nothingness and then hell. And God rescued me and saved me and adopted me and gave me a new life and a new heart and a new mind. He took those things that would have been sinful and wicked in me and he turned them into things for him. And so he has done for all of us. We have been rescued and adopted, not because we deserve anything, but because God loved us so much. Jesus overcame everything we're not with everything he is. And listen, the kingdom of God belongs to the beggars. It's the beggars who he makes into princes and princesses. We are adopted sons and daughters, not because of anything we did, but simply because we're loved. Let's respond to that today. I'm gonna pray, and then Jamie's gonna come back up and lead us in communion. Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us with an unrelenting love and grace and mercy. Help us to show mercy to others. Help us to follow you in this way, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, even when it interferes with our own personal comfort. Help us to pour out mercy as it has been poured out on us. And Lord, clear the fog away today. Help us to clearly see you. Lord, if there's anyone here today who would say they don't know what it's like to be adopted by you. They don't know what it's like. 
I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to that adoption, that you would lead them to a loving father. With every eye closed, if anyone here would say that they would feel that they don't know the God that we speak of here, and they want to, they want that love, they want that mercy, they want that grace, and they want that adoption. If you could raise your hand, I'd love to pray with you if anyone here feels that way. And if not, I'll be blessed. Anyone at all, raise a hand. Awesome. Lord, I pray for anyone here who wants to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would lead them right now to open up their hearts and just simply believe in you, to believe that you love them, to believe that you died for them, to believe that you adopted them. And if anyone here has followed you for some time but has walked away, I pray, God, that you would lead them right now to follow you once again and realize that only through you can they find true love and happiness and fulfillment. We love you, Jesus. Please help us to keep our eyes on you this day and this week and this year. We love you and we ask all these things in your name, amen.